talk about Chicago first uh yeah that's fine this season so far we've been going over films who are past Oscar winners and nominees and we're determining if they were just in their nominations and wins or not so for the most part this season we've had a pretty good mix of good movies justified noms at least to the 2023 lens couple episodes ago we kind of hit a wall with uh color of money but this week i think it's a little bit interesting because i think the films i think are pretty effective but i'm not super sure the nominations still kind of translate for one movie maybe not the other but we start off with chicago during the 75th academy awards in 20 in 2003 Chicago got 13 nominations with six wins, including Best Picture, was nominated for Best Director, nominated also for Best Actress with Renee Zellweger, and Catherine Zeta-Jones won Best Supporting Actress um, for her work as Velma, which I absolutely loved. Um, And I'm actually surprised also, John C. Riley got nominated for Best Actor, which I think of the movie for the men acting, I would have just assumed it would have come for Richard Gere, but I guess the Academy is a different in mine. And also Chicago got nominated for Best Adapted Screenplay. So I guess to start, did you see Chicago when it came out? I did. I did see Chicago when it came out. And I loved it. I think for me, when I first watched Chicago, it was the first time I had seen any of those people perform. So it was a super big shock because I did not know Catherine Zeta-Jones could perform and sing like that. I did not know Queen Latifah. I knew Queen Latifah could sing, but I had not seen her perform like that. Richard Gere, certainly not John C. Riley, because I had known him as more of a comedic actor at that time. Yeah. And Renee Zellweger, and, and it's interesting because when I was re-watching it earlier today, for me, everyone else outshined Renee. And Ooh. I completely agreed with Catherine's nomination because from the very start, she was just a powerhouse. I think, was Queen Latifah nominated for that? Oh, she actually was. I forgot, my bad. She, um, she was nominated in the Oscars category also for Best Supporting Actress. Right, right, right. So I, I agree with that. It was interesting that John C. Riley got the nom over Richard Gere, especially for amount of screen time, but I wasn't mad at it. But I just, I think they all overshadowed Renee Zellweger for me. And I thought that was interesting when I rewatched it today. I was like, put everyone else back on screen and 
Yeah. And then you randomly have Tay Diggs, and then you randomly have yeah. Maya, and we're like, what are we doing here, guys? I think Chicago was one of the first Broadway adaptations that I vividly remember. Yeah, I thought it was great. And I had no idea what it was about before I watched it. <laughs> but it was, it was really good. Yeah, I mean, I I didn't watch it. I think at that point when, I guess we were both, what, 16 when this came out? Or something like that? I was fervently uh, just a dude being a bro. So, uh, so I, I was not watching musicals or Broadway or Broadway adapted musicals or anything like that. But I do remember vividly just being Chicago being a part of like the zeitgeist and I was still following movies at the time and I just vividly remember it just being everywhere in the conscience and that that still was not enough to entice me to watch it. But watching it this weekend, I was shocked about how much I liked it. Like I was truly floored. And when I put together the episode, I thought the pairing between this and Black Swan would be a pretty good, a pretty good juxtaposition. But I was thinking that I was probably not going to like it. I was probably going to think it was mid or maybe just not even like it at all. And it astounded me like how much I actually liked it. And I think this may be the, of the season. I think this is probably the shock of the season for me. It's like, I think this movie is, is pretty excellent. And you're talking about like being surprised by Tate Diggs and Maya. I was, I was floored. I was, I was so floored by just Maya and shout out to DC. And this was like a real treat. It was an absolute treat for me. Yeah. And I was looking at some of the, cause every time I love a movie, I like to look at like what people didn't like about it. Um, <laughs> and I, I was surprised by so many people talking about the fact that they did not, they wanted more. They were like, you know, like, like they wanted beyond the performances and they wanted like this drama or they, you know, it's not as good as the stage. Well, obviously. And so yeah. it's always interesting to kind of think about what exactly people are expecting when a stage production is adapted to a film. Like, what is it that you wanted? Because for me, not having seen the stage production, had I seen it and then watched a movie that was just a drama with no songs, I probably would be irritated because I'd want to hear my songs and I'd want to see people perform. I guess it's kind of a fine line people have to walk when they're adapting these productions. But I mean, I thought they did a really good job. I, and I, I liked the fact that they included the stage performances in the film. Yeah. If that makes sense. Yeah. I thought it was pretty genius filmmaking. Like just the idea of we're basically traveling through this woman's mind and and actually it's kind of funny how black swan is basically doing the same thing but in this movie you know she's you know a quasi violent sociopath but it, at least we have beautiful dance numbers to go along with the to go along with what's going on in her actual mind but i thought it was really creative i thought all the sequences were done really really well very creative you know how we like the internet we have uh, beautiful gowns, beautiful costumes. When I say that the name Adele, what comes to mind? Mm-hmm. Young singer, good singer. Alicia Keys. Um, young performer, good writer, producer. Taylor Swift. 
Okay, great, uh, great gowns, beautiful gowns. It was that, but it was actual good things beyond just that. And so I thought it was done really, really well. Did you have a favorite of the um, of the actual performances? Did you have a favorite set piece? Well, I mean, I had more than one. Obviously, you know, that he had it coming dance number, song number, where the different women were talking about how they ended up in jail was a good number. I liked Queen Latifah's number. You're good to mama. Mama's good to you. Hey. And I also liked uh, <laughs> and I also liked Richard Gere's number where he was using Renee as the ventriloquist dummy. Um, yeah. I thought that was really fun too. I mean there's so many good songs. However, I was kind of tired of Richard Gere singing by the end, but <laughs> yes, so I many th- good songs. I, I just think that other performances had just much more energy, and Catherine was just, that was her Oscar. It's the one time I can say confidently that that is the performance she should have gotten her Oscar for, and that's the performance she got it for, you know, where it actually matched. I looked at the nominees for lead actor that Renee was in, and I knew she wasn't going to get that. I'm sorry to her. So, she wasn't going to get that. Not that year. <laughs> so I I think for me, I think my favorite one was the, uh, the woman telling how they iced their husbands. I thought that was really creative, really fun, really funny. And it was actually funny you brought up Richard Gere and got tired of singing by the end. I was actually kind of impressed that they just had the choice of everyone's going to sing just them and whether they could sing or not, we're just going to ride it out. And, you know, Richard Gere, you know, he, he, he had a couple of, a couple of iffy moments that he had to go through, but I still, I still at least admire the choice. But when we talk about the actual nominees and best actor, best actress, and even supporting actor and supporting actress, this is actually a very stacked year. And I can actually see why Gear did not get nominated. So this is the Adrian Brody year that he won for a pianist. Uh, he was up against Nicholas Cage, Michael Caine, Daniel Day-Lewis, and Jack Nicholson, which I think in 2023, like, Nicholas Cage is, I feel like, people kind of take him as kind of a joke, but his performance and adaption was actually really great. He had to play a dual role in adaption. That movie was actually really, really good. And the best actress, Renee, was up against Nicole Kidman for the <laughs> hours. Uh, I, I know a favorite of yours. Uh, Selma Hayek and Frida, Diane Lane, Julianne Moore. So it was some pretty heavy hitters. And even for yeah. the, the supporting categories, Ed Harris, Paul Newman, Christopher Walken, Chris Cooper, Kathy Bates, Julianne Moore, again, the hours, and Meryl Streep. Like, this is actually a really stacked year as far as, like, performances. Yeah. Also, uh, I do not like the hours. I like the others, but... Oh, know, the others. My dyslexia. I'm sorry. My bad. My bad. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean... Yeah, she wasn't going to beat Diane Lane either. I mean, even without Nicole Kidman in the category, it's not going to happen. I mean, she wasn't the standout. I mean, if you watch the film, she was good, but everyone else had a little more personality, I would say. Even Lucy Liu when she popped in, you know? so <laughs> That was a good, pleasant surprise. I think the MVP for me in this movie 
is Catherine Zeta-Jones. Like, every time she was on screen, I was fully captivated. And I've, I've had stock in, in her since The Mask of Zorro, which it felt like she was like a firecracker in that movie. And I think in this yeah. movie, like, I think she commanded the screen so well. And I think she did a really good job. And I do think that she definitely outperformed and outclass Renee Zellweger in this movie. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of, in in your words, Alea, that she's the MVP of the film. <laughs> you know, she just had that energy. I think after her, I think after her, I would go Queen Latifah for me. Got a little motto, always sees me through. When you're good to mama, mama's good to you. You might think I'm here to make your life a living hell. It's just not true. There's a lot of favors I'm prepared to do. You do one for mama, she'll do one for you. Like be a friend if you let me. So if there's something that upsets you or makes you unhappy in any way, don't shoot your fat ass mouth off to me because I don't give a shit. Now move it out. They say that life is tit for tat, and that's the way I live. I deserve a lot of tech for what I've got to give. Don't you know that this hand washes that one too? When you're good to mama, mama's good to you. Let's go. You must be hard. Ain't you the pretty one? Thank you, man. I'm gonna call me mama. I'm here to take care of you. Did you know that Charlize Theron was originally the choice for Roxy? Oh, wow. I did <laughs> not. And. Well, according to this site, and that Kathy Bates was up for Mama Morton. Oh, wow. Nah. Well, I'm glad we got it. I'm glad we got <laughs> the queen. I'm very happy. Yeah. Actually, the funny thing is, I'm watching the movie right now, and her her performance is actually what I'm watching right now. Um, so I'm very happy we still got the queen. And the sliding doors moment of Catherine Zeta-Jones, uh, I'm sorry, Charlize Theron in this, ooh, this actually made even a better movie. <laughs> uh, oh, I, don't, I don't know if she can sing or dance, but, I mean, shit. I think she could have did an interesting job. That's really interesting to think about. Do you like Renee Zellweger just like overall? Like, I think for her, for me, I, I think my first thing that I watched her in and kind of noticed her was Jerry Maguire and then Bridget Jones' Diary after that. But are you a fan of Renee Zellweger? Yeah, I think. I mean, my first, I think my first Renee film was. I think it might have been Bridget Jones. And I did love Bridget Jones. Oh, I first saw her in Nurse Betty. And then I saw her in Me, Myself, and Irene. So, uh, yeah. I mean, I was a, a classic. A classic. <laughs> a, yeah, for, for sure. I actually do like Renee. I just, for some reason, she didn't stick out to me. Like, I even loved her in another film that you have on your watch list that you have not seen, White Oleander. But yeah, I think Renee's great. I just, I don't know what it is. She just didn't stand out as much as everyone else. And to be fair, 
you know, her character in the film, she was trying to get noticed and she was kind of overshadowed by everything else until she started playing the game to get the attention. So, I mean, I guess it kind of worked in that way. Yeah. And I lied. I think the first movie I ever saw Renee Zellweger in was Empire Records from 1995, which <laughs> that is a movie, just to say the least. That is a movie. <laughs> but, um, that uh, exists. It is a movie that exists. Exactly. Sure. So Chicago won Best Picture, which I think if if oh. I just watch if I watched the movie and just I don't think about the rest of the that Oscar year, and I just look at this is a movie that is worthy of Best Picture. I would like, yeah, like, yes, like, okay, yeah. But then it beat Gangs of New York. It beat Lord oh, Rings, Two Towers. Just, oh. Like, so, so, yeah. You could pause there. You don't even have to continue. I know the rest is like the pianist and the hours. Yeah. But I think you could, you could have stopped at Gangs of New York for me because that's one of <laughs> my favorite. That's Scorsese, right? That's one of my favorite. Scorsese films. You know how I feel about that because I constantly do that Irish accent that I will not do on here. Uh, I love that movie. Uh, I've seen it many times. And then The Two Towers is the best film of (laughs) the Lord of the Rings franchise. So I don't quite (laughs) know how to feel about that. I mean, Other than maybe they were they were feeling, you know, the spirit of the music <laughs> or something because no, no, oh my god, <laughs> Gangs of New York and ugh. yeah, so yeah, um, I mean, I think looking at like this season and looking at like the winners that we've kind of talked about and the nominees. And even a movie like La La Land, which, you know, got nominated, oh you didn't win. But it's like, I do think there is a formula to the, to the Academy to where if you can hit successfully certain benchmarks, then they're going to be really on top of it. And so for a movie like Chicago, that is very lively, very fun, like music, dance, very sexy movie big stars i think this is definitely i actually hate the term oscar bait like i get it but it's like i think from a artist perspective i think that can be very dismissive but i do think that this if there were a movie that was oscar bait it would be chicago but chicago happens to actually be a good movie so for me I get how it can be seen as dismissive. I have used the term before, but I mean it in a way that it's what the Oscars love. It's what they gravitate towards. Like it has that certain formula of film that always makes its way in or the kind of performances, you know, like when you're going fishing and if you're going fishing for a certain kind of fish, you put certain bait on the hook and that's what you attract. And while I don't think that these directors or writers go in thinking this one will be my Oscar. I just think that after I see a film, I think to myself, oh, the Oscars are going to eat this up. Sometimes it can be a compliment like, 
oh, this is going to be, it's going to take it because it's so great. Or, but I can understand how it can be dismissive because some people do use it as it's what the Oscars like and no one else, (laughs) you know? So, but Chicago, I think too, at the time was like the highest grossing film for uh, the studio that produced it, I think, which is, you know, really cool. Of course, yeah, the studio uh, is. Yeah. Oh, go there. Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah. I hate watching movies, and then that name pops up in executive yeah. producer shit. I always hate it. But yeah, Chicago, yeah. Chicago at the time was the biggest grossing musical movie. I think that was until Mamma Mia, I believe. So. Mm. Yeah, it was broken by Mamma Mia, yeah. So, I think it's earned, like, I feel like at the moment, I think there were definitely people who were doing, like, rewatching this in theaters while it was out, which I'm a big proponent of rewatching movies while it's out in theaters. Speaking of possible Oscar bait, I watched Oppenheimer three times in the theater, so I'm a big fan of seeing things in theaters. Really? So. Oppenheimer of all movies? Wow. Yeah. I really um, like that film. Speaking of Chicago, uh, Hugh Jackman was going to be Richard Gere's part originally. Is this a better movie if it stars Charlize Theron and Hugh Jackman? Jackman. (laughs) Uh, With Kathy Bates as Mama Morton. No, 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 no. We'll keep. We love Kathy Bates, you know, Misery, obviously, but. We'll let her stick to uh, We'll let her stick to About Schmidt for that year But is this a better movie with Hugh Jackman and Shelly's because it may be He did a musical like 10 years ago right Oh no The Greatest Showman is great I I love The Greatest Showman But I think that Richard Gere Had kind of like more of the Sleazy quality that was needed For a lawyer Yeah, because yeah. Hugh Jackman is like the lovable guy, the Aussie, you know. He's just, <laughs> you know, but I just I think that he would have put on a great show. But I think that Richard Gere had that sleazy quality that was needed. Now Charlize, I don't know, I don't know, because back then, what was Charlize doing in two thousand three? She's not that far removed from Monster, isn't she? Which, oh my God, Monster! Uh, oh, Monster was two thousand three. Maybe that's why she didn't do it. Oh, my God. I can't believe I called it, but... uh, Have you you seen Monster? Have you seen Monster? I have seen Monster more than once, actually. More than once? At what cost? I have. I have. I don't know why. (laughs) I don't know why I've seen it more than once, but I have. I've seen it more than once. I wish I could blame it on, like, a film class. That I've seen it more than once, but no, I think I chose that life. Oh, and oh. am I worse for it? I don't know. I don't oh. know, but I'm here. And uh, let's just be grateful for that. Oh, I'm more than grateful for that. So, <laughs> so. And for a long time, I couldn't get Christina Ricci's hairstyle out of my mind. Oh. It haunted me. I f- oh, my God. That movie haunted me. It haunts me to this day. <laughs> but uh, I was going to ask you, so I know you said you you really like the, the Greatest Showman in Chicago, obviously. So what's your history and what is your 
love of, or maybe not so love of, musical movies? I mean, I love music. I love music and I love to perform. I feel like, you know, every day is, you know, life is a stage. You know what I'm saying? Um, <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I'm, <laughs> so smooth. I'm kidding. Um, but yeah, I love, I love music and I love perform. Well, I don't perform anymore. Um, of course, you know, I was the lead in my third grade play. I was ready to frog. <laughs> Adorable. My first year at that school and I stole the show. So that's important to note. And I think for me, what I love about the stage, although I've not seen a Broadway production, which I hope to tackle that next year, I hope to make that a goal. You can't hide lack of talent on the stage. I think you can camouflage it in a film, in a music video, on a recordings in a studio, but you can't hide when you're on a stage. It's just you, it's the mic. They're not auto-tuning you. I mean, from what I remember, <laughs> um, everybody can see your dance moves, you're on display, and you really have to have the talent to do it. And I think that that's what I love about musical performances. The music, you still have the story, you still have people dancing, and it's just raw talent. You can just, uh, it's, I have a different level of appreciation for that uh, than I do for more controlled performances, I guess, in film, you could say. That's why I was so shocked in a good way when I saw who was in Chicago and that they were performing, because it takes a lot of work to do those types of songs anyway whether you're in studio or live. And it just takes a different kind of work ethic. And, you know, I've grown up with performers in my family and there's something different about live music or live performances. And because I have not been able to go to many in my, uh, uh, in my life, my second closest, second best thing is movies about them. Rob Marshall got nominated for Best Director. He lost to... I feel like we've talked uh, between Miramax guy, Sweeney Todd guy, and the director for The Pianist, Roman Polanski. I feel like we've talked about a lot of problematic white men. So, uh, yes. so uh, I don't know. Uh, even, before we, even before we get to Black Swan. <laughs> oh, my God. This is Aronofsky yeah. guy. But, yeah. Uh, but uh, I don't know. I guess I guess 2003 was just uh, was just the time to smoke them out. I guess I don't know. But I think the structure of the story narratively was pretty solid. I do think that because the film was so creative with the actual music pieces on its face, like it's a very direct story. You know, it's it's a person on trial for for a murder, basically. But I think that everything around it builds it in such a creative way that you really just don't care just how bland the actual, how not bland, but how like direct the story actually is. Because the color around it is just so fulfilling that this could have been about a janitor mobbing a, a, a hallway and, and everything would have been like really killer. They just would have built around that. So I really love Chicago. This really good movie.
coming down the aisle, representing the Hyphen Podcast Group, they are the unbeatable team of B-Hyphen. I'm just saying, you worked yourself into a shoe to answer the question. some Bane. My, my firm belief is that DDT should beat anybody. Showing mad love. Rude of me this Batman. If two go in the pink. The novelist. Diggity dope. And Cat Chinetti. This is what Brock Lesnar thinks he looks like if Brock Lesnar were a beautiful woman. They are the Wrestlecast. Power I had the craziest dream last night about a girl who was turned into a swan. But her prince falls for the wrong girl, and she kills herself. He promised to feature me more this season. Well, he should. You've been there long enough. And you're the most dedicated dancer in the company. Our new swan queen, the exquisite Nina Sayers. Lily, you're gonna be amazing. I watch the way she moves. Sensual. She's not faking it. Seduces! Attack it! Attack it! Come on! Where'd you get these? It's nothing. You sweet girl. Feel my touch. Respond to it. So was hot for teacher. I don't want to talk about that. You really need to relax. It's the role, isn't it? It's all this pressure. I knew it'd be too much. I knew it. What's she doing here? He made me your alternate. The only person standing in your way is you. (sighs) Going from a movie that I have very absolute feelings about to a movie I have very middling feelings about, (laughs) uh, Black Swan. Of the moment, seeing Black Swan... I vividly remember the first time I watched it. It was with my old roommate in West Virginia, and he got this like new Blu-ray set up. It was great, and he got Black Swan, and we watched it, and my mind was blown. And since then, which was 2010, I've never watched it again. It was just like a this good memory that I had. But watching it now, it's kind of like, oh, all right, well... This was a movie, but I think it was successful, but I don't know if it really reached me as it, as it did all those years ago, but Kit, what are your thoughts on Darren Aronofsky's Black Swan? Now, why you throw it to me? I'm over here minding my business, chilling. Hilarious. Um, I mean, I feel like it's very straightforward, you know, for me, rewatching it. I don't know what I thought about Black Swan. Uh, in the beginning. I think when I first saw it, I just thought, I think I watched it initially because I thought it was a horror film. And I guess to a degree, it kind of is. Or psychological thriller, perhaps. Yeah. To me, it's very, you know, she literally kills herself trying to be perfect. You know, I think it's pretty straightforward. I, I wish, though in really thinking about it, that we got maybe a little more depth into the characters. I feel like a lot of things were happening, great angles, great effects, (laughs) this 
kind of fantastical element to it or a supernatural element to it, but I feel like the characters themselves seemed very surface. Yeah. I think, you know, for this for this type of movie, I think by default you're just on the protagonist's side. But for me, I didn't really have feelings about Nina one way or the other. She was so green and chasing perfection so much that I didn't really feel like I was on her side. Like I didn't I, I don't think I was really given a chance to like like her as a human. So when she had her descent into madness, to me there wasn't any real stakes because I wasn't really invested in who she was anyway. And so it was kind of like, well, we're we're on your journey with you, but we're not with you. Like we're watching the journey, but we're not really like we're not really invested in if you don't go into madness or not. I like Mina Kunis' character more than her. So it's like, well, I'm glad she lived. But uh, I thought the way that Aronofsky handled, like, the visions and kind of, like, you know, just, like, like you said, the psychological part of it, I think that it was handled well, but it wasn't really effective to me. In 2023, it wasn't really effective to me. Yeah, I think that it's easy to see that she, her pursuit of perfection, she she just kind of unravels and descends into this self-induced mania or, uh, you know, all these hallucinations. and, And she's literally inflicting it on herself, which is effective to a degree now, because, you know, we do that, self-sabotage, we're psyching ourselves out or whatever. Obviously not as much as she is, you know. I would hope not. (laughs) (laughs) But even, like, the relationship with her mom and the scene, like, where she, her mom hid the doorknob. She's like, I'm just going to wait here till you get better, till you get better. And, And just, I feel like we jumped around a lot. When I first saw it, it felt more of a gradual descent. But when I rewatched it, I felt like she was halfway crazy when we started. Yeah. And so so it didn't feel as smooth, but I still really liked the ballet numbers. Um, I know Natalie Portman, you know, took ballet to prepare and all of that. That's great. I liked the performance and, and, and everything. I just, I guess I was looking for what I missed the first time, like something like a a larger, more in-depth theme beyond what I thought it was all along. And I think we kind of come to that conclusion so early in the film that I was waiting for like another shoe to drop at the end and it never did. It's like, no, that was it. We're just, you know, going to take you through imagery (laughs) until the credits roll. So yeah. And then also I I wasn't prepared for, I guess not wasn't prepared for, but I, I, did not remember all of the like him coming in just grabbing her vagina and doing all Ooh. that. I was like, oh, yeah, uh, there was, there was some stuff happening. Yeah, yeah, it's always interesting to me when it when it's anytime a guy writes certain things where things like that happen to women in the film, it's just always interesting to me. And that's that's pretty much all I can say about that. Well, interesting in what way? I wonder what, I, I wonder why, like just why, why? Like why did, why did this character need to do that? Yes. Specifically is the question. I dig, I dig. And 
I've only watched four of Aronofsky's films, and it's actually interesting how he had Mother, where it's funny how he kind of talked about how men make the choice to treat women's bodies in these ways, and Mother, like, Mother just is fucking, like, nuts. Like, I vividly remember seeing Mother and we actually see where multiple times Jennifer Lawrence is just punched in the face and all this like wild shit is happening. And it's like, you know, obviously like violence assault in that way and sexual assault are different, but I think ultimately it's kind of like the question of why are you treating women in these ways in your movies? Like, why do you have to see them get viscerally violated in these kind of ways? And I think Aronofsky, I think he has a very, I'll say, interesting uh, relationship with the human body. And Requiem for a Dream, at the very end, we see where everyone's kind of descent into this kind of mania. And you talk about, like, weird choices for a woman. Jennifer Connelly's character in that movie, she's turns into a prostitute that get, get, gets, like, violated with this massive dildo at the end and it's like do we need this choice in the movie like i i don't know like what purpose that served i didn't, I didn't like wrecking him either so i just don't like aronofsky as a director i just don't i think the way he treats bodies is very weird i absolutely hate the whale like i absolutely hate the phobia that happened in the whale and I haven't seen The Wrestler, but I think Black Swan is his most successful movie. But at the same time, like, I just think that the way he he kind of destroys Nina's body throughout the movie, it's um interesting, I guess. I, I guess the only way to really sum it up. Like, I, I think in the movie itself, it's not necessarily... Well, actually, no, there are parts that are bad, like sexual assault. Like, she got sexually assaulted, like, three different times in the movie. And none of that is even kind of addressed or like pandered or explored or anything. So, so yeah, it's um, it's <laughs> uh, yeah, I just don't fuck with Aronofsky. I just really don't. Man. I just don't. Well, and I have a question. Well, number one, I did not like the whale either, and <laughs> that was a very interesting time to be alive during award season last year when we were talking about it. Uh, I did not like the whale. I I was happy for Brendan Fraser. Obviously, everyone's happy that he's back on the scene. I did not like the whale. <laughs> just leave it at that. But I do have a question, though. Yeah. Because a lot of things were going on in her mind. Did those assaults happen, or did they happen in her mind? The only... And if they happened in her mind, did she did she want them to happen? Or like like I guess, for example, like in the car. Like, did that actually happen or did that not happen? And when she kissed the director after she did her great performance at the end, he looked surprised by her doing that. So I just wondered, did those situations actually take place or did she imagine they take place and therefore she went on? So, and and each time it happened, it affected her, her being, her, herself. She was thinking about, you know, sex more. She was, you know, thinking about, you know, masturbating more and, and all this other kind of stuff. And so I'm just wondering, because there was such a 
now you see me, now you don't, this is real, this is not real in the movie. I just wondered if all of those situations happened or if she imagined they happened and they all contributed to her becoming this person at the end. So I think definitively the only assault that did not actually happen was the car assault. That was something, I think that was just a manifestation that she had for Lily, played by Mila Kunis. From her, if you look at just her totality of her character, I, I know obviously anyone can sexually assault anyone, you know, regardless how they act, but narrowly speaking in the movie she was someone who was always supportive of her or at least if she wasn't supportive she was at least friendly so it wouldn't necessarily i don't know if how well it would actually track that she would do that to her in the car and then just like send her on home or whatever i i don't know i think i think that's the one that didn't happen but the first assault that happened where they were in the room and he just like kisses her and she bites him. I think that definitely did happen. And I think you could make an argument that the rest of the assaults may be a figment of her imagination, but I wouldn't necessarily do that. I wouldn't necessarily make the argument. I think whenever they had the conversation in the penthouse and he told her your homework assignments, I want you to touch yourself. Like, I don't know if that was imagined. I think that legitimately did happen. And I think the end for the kiss, I only think his shock came in the fact that you're doing this in, in public. Everything that we've done or I have done to you, that's a more that's a more accurate statement. Everything I've done to you has been behind closed doors. And now you're kissing me in front of all these people. I'm slightly embarrassed, but because you had this magnificent performance, I'm slightly aroused and turned on and and happy that you kissed me from all these people. So I think he definitely assaulted her. Are you ever frustrated when when movies go back and forth between real and unreal? If it's a bad movie, yes. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I think the bending of reality, I kind of joked about it, but ultimately I do think that if your story is not successful, I think it's bad. I think perception is reality. And so if I perceive something to have happened to me and you're on my journey with me, then it happened to me. And so because we're on this journey with her and like we have all these tight camera angles, like we're in her profile. The only time we see her body is when she's dancing. Every other scene that we have of her, like we're tied up on her face. And so you know, we are on her journey. So we're from her POV. And so in her mind, all of these things have happened to her. And and that's why I think the movie, I think he accomplished what he wanted to with it. Because I do think that we are supposed to be having this visceral reaction with her of her body's breaking down. Her teacher is verbally and physically attacking her. Her mother is this hyper overbearing presence in her life that just causes her stress you know i think because we're on the journey with her it's supposed to happen to us also so do you think the kind of the warping of reality was unsuccessful in this no i i don't think it was unsuccessful i think he did a good job of 
showing us like the state of her mind. I just think it came too early. But maybe, but, but it came so early, I felt like it was purposeful that they wanted us to question all these experiences that were happening to her during the film because she was doing the same thing. Yeah. So I think that that's, that's why a, a lot of people were talking about how kind of like he showed his hand too quickly and we already know what it's about. But I, I don't think that that's an issue. I don't think it's, it's wrong to know what's happening because that's not the point. The point is, for me, her pursuit of perfection and what it was doing to her, not only physically, but mentally. And regardless of what, what, what it was doing to her, she was determined to be perfect because of what the idea of perfection would mean for her or to her. Yeah. We talked about Chicago, but this is a movie that is very successful in, in bending reality. Like most of these dance numbers are things that these multiple people are interpreting. Like they're not actually, you know, in the court with the ventriloquist strings and all that stuff. But at the same time, like it, it's highly effective because the story is good enough and it's entertaining enough. But in Black Swan, I do agree that we really don't have enough time to see her in her quote unquote normal state. By the time like the movie starts, you know, we actually when the movie starts, we're basically in her dream. Like she is dreaming of what she wants to 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 you know get the part in Black Swan or whatever. And so we're already off the bat, we're not in reality. We're already in her subconscious. And so from there, she's basically like super stressed. She is very fragile and she's already at a minus 10 already for like her self-esteem and like who she actually is as a person. So again, like I talked a little bit already, like if we would have had a chance just to like her, to get to know her, I think the movie could have been much more effective. And so when Mila Kunis' character comes in, we should see a true reason as to why she would be either enticed by her, enchanted by her, or threatened by her presence. Like, yes. So, you know, we, we really don't have a chance to, to truly do that. We don't. I agree. I agree. That's why there's kind of really no place to go. And I think that's also why, I think had it been done differently, Mila would have had enough performance to be nominated for a supporting actor but she really didn't do much she didn't have a lot of room to do anything yeah i i agree with that 100 we didn't have a, a legit starting point we kind of just were tossed into her world which could have also been the point and we're just kind of going with it yeah. but it could have been a lot more effective if we got more of a sense of her day-to-day -day before things started to kind of disintegrate. I was looking at the best picture nominees. Yeah, I was I was I was actually gonna to pivot to that right now. So so this is the second year. So the 83rd Oscars is the second year where they expanded to 10 nominees and Black Swan did get nominated. And this is a interesting year. This is social network social network Toy Story 3 True Grit and Inception, King's Speech, and the Fighter, the Fighter, and 
the kids are alright. 127 hours of Wonder's Bone, which that sounds like a porno, Wonder's Bone. But um, but <laughs> shout out to Bone, I'm scared. Hey, hey. <laughs> I think just as hindsight, I would say social networks should have probably won this one. But Aronofsky did get nominated for best director, which I mean, I guess. I don't see how they would nominate Nolan for Inception, but then not just slot him in for Best Director, but whatever. He's going to get it this year. I know that. So Aronofsky's nominated for Best Director, along with the Coen Brothers for True Grit, which I really like True Grit. Venture for Social Network, David Russell for The Fighter, and Tom uh, Hooper for King's Speech. And Pause. So Nolan did not get nominated for Best Director. No, that I think that deserves a pause because that's kind of wild. I mean, I didn't understand Inception, but it was beautifully shot. Hilarious. I, um, mean, it, I think it, it was beautifully shot. And even with Best Picture, like, I need to go back and revisit the King's Speech because I love Colin Firth and, and I, I think he did a great job. But I'm just looking at these. I don't know. If I would have gave it to the King's Speech over Inception, I mean... Or the fighter. I mean, I really liked the fighter. Uh, I did not see the social network, and we'll talk about that at a later time. But yeah, I. Well, yeah, speaking of true grit, was good as well. I don't know. I mean, Black Swan, I can understand. However, I do think visually, Black Swan is is solid. Like I, I agree with his uh, director nomination, but to nominate him and not Nolan, this is kind of wild. Well, I mean, you spoke of the photography of Inception. It did get nominated for Best Art Direction, and it won for Best Cinematography. So I guess, I guess, Chrissy, you win some, you lose some. But um, I was going to ask you, so we've been talking about the movie specifically, like the characters, but we haven't really talked about Natalie Portman. She won for Best Actress. She beat out Annette Bening, Nicole Kim, and Jennifer Lawrence, and Michelle Williams, which... I think just really like the names. Time. Oh, okay. <laughs> for what? For these films, I think I think that's yeah. I think that's accurate. I'm actually surprised Michelle Williams got nominated for Blue Valentine. I feel like that's a very Tumblr movie. I feel like I'm very shocked that the Academy recognized Blue Valentine, but they did not give Gosling nomination for it for well, Best Actor. Well, because do they recognize the movie or do they recognize Michelle Williams? That because is, we don't need to talk about the Fablemans. Oh my God, the Fablemans is a very good movie. It recontextualizes. I digress. A, a, um, <laughs> it recontextualizes a fifty-year career of a director in Hollywood. One of the greatest. Is that directors. what it did? Oh wow! Yeah. If you watch, hold on, hold on, hold on. If you watch the Fablemans and you see his mom with that, with the bob. If you look at every other movie from Spielberg, it will absolutely make you think twice. Um, just just look at the Fablemans and look at the last Indiana Jones movie he directed. Like, like, like that will just look at the bobs in both those movies. But I digress. But Natalie Portman, <laughs> Natalie. I'm Portman, glad you got that off your chest. Okay. I had to. So, and also Blue Valentine. That was the only nomination for that movie. So. Um, so you may right. Have... That's what that's that's what I'm saying. Do did they recognize Blue Valentine? Do they recognize Michelle Williams? I'm just saying. There's really? 
That was a decent. That was a, that was a decent movie. It wasn't too bad, I guess. Did you like Blue Valentine? I didn't watch it. Okay, so I think. <laughs> <laughs> so I think Natalie Portman. I can see why she won. I can see. Yeah, why. the kids are all right. It was a good movie, but over her performance in Black Swan, I think not to say it was Oscar bait. <laughs> you can say it was Oscar. I think. I, like. So here's the thing. It's not my favorite Natalie Portman performance. That's okay. one. And if you look at it, a lot of reviews about it were that she was very milk toast um, or just looked sad the whole time or whatever. Yeah. So I think I think in the context of the film, I can see why she won. I liked her performance, but it wasn't the makeup did have to work. So I think and it's something that for this year, when we look at and we just talked about Martin Scorsese, who came to New York, but if we look at the women in Martin Scorsese's films, when we think about Goodfellas, Casino, and then now Killers of the Flower Moon, where you have these great actresses in these roles, but they are just outperforming what's on paper. And I think with Goodfellas, with Lorraine Bracco, she outperformed the script that she was given for Karen, I think for Casino, Sharon Stone outperformed the character that was written for Ginger. And I think that Lily Gladstone outperformed the character that was written for her character in Killers. And I think Natalie maximized the character. I think she did everything that Aronofsky wanted her to do in the film. And it's actually kind of interesting how in the movie itself, he's trying to get her to move beyond it to be like this free person who's uninhibited. And, but I think for Natalie's performance in it, she's doing like everything the script is asking her to do. I don't think she's elevating the script at all. That's not her fault. I don't know, because I think that the script is very confining. So I think she does a good job of what she's given, but I don't see her moving beyond like the limitations of what her, her script put on her. Yeah. Another thing someone said about her character, about Nina, is that they didn't like that there was no escape for her, that there was no I mean, help definitely. for her, there was no shoulder for her to lean on, no kindness, no freedom, no, you know, they, they just felt like it was just the pile on until her demise. And that's the exact same thing that happened in The Whale. The only escape was death in both movies. And so, and, and that's why I just, I just don't fuck with Aronofsky, man. Like, and obviously, you know, people, people are loners. Like, people just don't fit into stuff. Like, you know, that that's kind of a given. But she got no friends in this dance company. Like, in the fight, like, Mila Kunis, like, her character was so friendly to her. They didn't have, like, one conversation about, hey, why why is the director having you stay all late? Like what's that about? Like like no Girl, one what's going on with your fingernails? They're popping off. Like Yeah, exactly. Like, <laughs> what's yeah. happening? Got a little yeah. chicken skin on your shoulder. Let me put some moisturizer. Yeah. Yeah, like like no one is like having conversations with her at all. And so it's like and again, like when she died, that was her f- most freeing moment of the movie. And it's like so you can only achieve 
the freedom through through self destruction. What? <laughs> it was it was when she finally achieved her perfection. It's like finally I've achieved perfection, and it took literally everything I had. The question is, did she actually die? I, I mean, I said this in the movie when I was watching it. Like, I mean, a stab to the gut doesn't actually mean you die. I mean, she she undereats, she purges herself. I mean, she done dancing for sure, but she, I think a stiff breeze would have took her out. So, you know, I, I think she's out of there. But also, it's like, and I kind of joke, but I am serious. I do think she got freedom through death, and it's like, does she want to survive this? Like, does she just want to survive being this person who had this extraordinarily manic episode? Like, who is she after this? Let's say she did, let's say she cut herself and it was just a scratch and she lived. Like, what does the next day look like for her? Like, how does she, how does she believe anything else about the rest of her life? Like, there's no way she can live in that way. Yeah. I mean, I think maybe for her life without ballet, without the stage is just not worth living. Yeah. And once she knew it's almost like she rested in that single achievement of nailing that performance, getting that lead, nailing that performance. And now she's just like, and that's it. Like there is no, almost like there is no high greater than this. Yeah. I mean, definitely no happy endings with his films. Like there's yeah, no happy ending. Except for, you know, except for Mila Kunis's character who now might have a chance <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, she's the lead now. So, <laughs> she had, she had to get stabbed. She had to get assaulted. Like she, was a, she just she was literally just a nice woman who liked to party and do ecstasy, and now she's the lead in her own ballet with, Seba- with Sebastian Stan. That was you know, so that's random. <laughs> that was so fucking random. Like oh, all right, okay. That's before he went to the war and lost his arm. <laughs> hashtag support our troops hashtag never forget <laughs> yeah if you've enjoyed the episode please subscribe rate us five stars leave a review and tell a friend to tell a friend follow cat at Catchinetti on x instagram and letterboxd Follow Marcus at Show and Mad Love, S-H-O-W-I-N-M-A-D-L-O-V on X and Letterboxd. Follow the show at Cat and Mark on X. This podcast is executive produced by Kellen Conley and Eric Greenlee. Thanks for listening. We should do this again sometime. This is a hyphen podcast production. Are you not entertained? He's the one the Elon movie. Like, what the fuck? Like, what like what is he gonna bring to an Elon Musk biopic? Like, I just don't I don't see the math. Does on he that. die at the end too? Like Jesus Christ. <laughs> Jesus. Listen, man. I'm gonna tweet the episode so I can't, you know, say what I wanna say, but uh come on man. Like, we just need a break. <laughs> we just need a break. <laughs>